again, good morning. The passage that we will reflect on is from 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you may want to turn to there. I'll have some screens that reveal the, the passage as well. I think many of you know that I am pursuing a doctor of ministry. It's a degree. And one of the most helpful classes I took, uh, the, the professor, the only graded assignments or one of the major graded assignments was the question that I have printed for you on this slide. A lot of reading, a lot of long reading. Uh, and after each reading, the assignment was to write one, only one, one sentence that captures the author's thesis of all that the author wrote. What did they say? That is a surprisingly challenging discipline and a good one. Reading the news, reading a novel, listening to a sermon, of all that was communicated, what did they actually say? And so as I thought about that question from 1 Peter, and here is our text, here is what I concluded. The author's thesis, Peter's main point out of this opening chapter is as follows. The Christian's certain hope of their future resurrection inspires joy amidst trials. What do you think? What grade would you give me on this assignment? Let me show you how I got to that thesis statement, the main point of what the author is communicating. The author talks when asks, tells us when our hope, our Christian hope, will be realized. When will it get good for the Christian faith, for those who trust in him? Let me show you. We have a living hope, which is kept in heaven, a salvation, which is ready to be revealed at the last time. So the Christian hope is a future hope, not a present reality, not primarily a present reality. The Christian hope is kept in heaven, and it is not fully accessible on earth. The Christian hope is revealed in the last time. It is not fully known now. Do we have some hope? Yes, today. Do we have some access to our hope? Absolutely. But the primary hope, the full access, when our hope will be fully known, is in the future age, not in this one. It is a future hope. What? The next question, what is our future hope? Here we have the substance of the Christian hope is revealed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the substance of our hope. We have a specific hope, not a vague hope. That just as Jesus was not revived, he wasn't resuscitated, he did not come back as an immaterial ghost, he was both raised and changed. And the Christian hope is simply that we will be as he is, not a ghost, not simply raised to a, a similar kind of life, but we will be both raised and changed, just as he was raised and changed. The Apostle Paul uses garden imagery. 
the same garden that Heather spoke about, to express the same point. Just as a seed is to a flower, so our mortal bodies are to our resurrected body. That is the what of the Christian hope. So when will the Christian hope be realized? Not in this age, but in the age to come when Christ returns or we return to him. What is the Christian hope? It is specific, not vague, that we will be as he is. Now we get to the real heart of this passage. How certain can you and I be of this hope? Is this just something we kind of wish for? How certain can the Christian be that in the new age, the next age, when Christ returns or we return to him, that we will be as he is? Answer, extremely certain. Look, consider this with me. The author describes our hope as an inheritance. Think about that description. In the normal pattern of life, in a reasonable family, a child can expect to receive an inheritance when their parents pass away. Without presumption, there is a reasonable expectation of all the emotions a child will feel when a parent passes away and, and that child receives an inheritance. Surprise is not one of them. A child is not surprised. They may be surprised at how big or how little, but the fact that a father or mother leaves an inheritance for a child is a reasonable expectation. Our hope is described in terms of something that we can expect. It is an inheritance. Further, it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Every inheritance that you receive is not those things. Every inheritance that you receive is imperishable. It fluctuates. Do your parents leave you money? It will rise or fall based upon the stock market. No inheritance is perfect. All inheritance fade like pictures on a mantelpiece, but not the inheritance that you are promised through Christ. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Further, it is doubly guarded. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and you are being kept in heaven for it. How certain can you be of your eternal destiny? This passage is telling you and me that you can be exceedingly, extremely certain about the Christian hope. Now, it may seem presumptuous. It may seem unreasonable for us to think, based on my performance, based upon the, what I know about myself, it seems awfully presumptuous for me to say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I know that I will be with him. It would be presumptuous if the hope of your inheritance, the hope of your salvation was dependent upon your merit. It is not. The hope of our salvation, the hope of our inheritance is not based upon our merit. It is based upon his mercy. Finally, so again, I return to my thesis. The certainty of the Christian hope inspires joy amidst trials. 
In this, in what? In what do you rejoice? In the certainty of your eternal hope, though you are grieved by various trials. This image that you see on your right-hand side is an image of Emperor Nero. He is one of the more unsavory characters of history. He led one of the last great persecutions of, of the Christians. Lions in the Colosseum. That image is thanks to the maliciousness of Nero. This letter, 1 Peter, was written to them. They are grieved by various trials. And in the midst of their various trials, the author wants to inspire joy amidst the trials by assuring them of the certain hope of their resurrection. Now, if you've been in this church before, you've heard this passage before. In a liturgical church like ours, you are bound to review some of the same passages again and again. We do so because they are important. Last week, we thought of the certainty of the resurrection of Christ. This week, Easter, second week of Easter, we think of our own certainty. And I am convinced that this is the author's main point of this opening chapter. How certain can you be? extremely certain. You have a sure hope. But what struck me as I sat and reflected on this passage was something that I simply had not noticed before. This passage reveals something that I found encouraging, uh, revealing and encouraging about our human nature. Let me show it to you. I wonder if you picked up on this as the passage was read. What I noticed what there is that there are two emotions, joy and grief, that are simultaneous. These are two very different emotions, and the author expects that those who receive this letter will both experience joy and experience grief. In other words, the joy inspired by the certain hope of the resurrection does not displace grief caused by the various trials of this present age. Now, that is, may seem a little bit odd. Can you be happy and sad at the same time? Can you feel joy and grief at the same time? It doesn't seem very logical, does it? Uh, I often don't think of what I feel or how I feel or much less how my feelings work. But doesn't it seem to me that, doesn't it seem to you that if you felt one emotion, then you would not feel another? If you felt joyful, wouldn't joy displace grief? If you felt grief, wouldn't grief displace joy? You see my, uh, raise your hand if you know who that is. I see a colder child raising their hand. You're muted though. It's uh, Archimedes, right? Yes? Yeah, thumbs up. I'm sure other people got that right. I can only see one name though. Uh, Archimedes had the theory of displacement and maybe I guess I had a, a theory of 
an emotional theory of displacement, that if I'm feeling one thing, joy, then that must displace another thing, sorrow. But this passage suggests that that is not the case. Apparently, you and I can feel joy and happiness, or joy and happiness, joy and sorrow at the same time. I hope that picture doesn't seem creepy, uh, but that's a picture of a happy, sad person, happy, sad face, or a joyful, sorrowful face. And I imagine, as I've spoken, each one of us can think of times when you have been both joyful and full of grief. On the emotional wheel chart, something tells me that those two emotions are side by side. Haven't we all had the experience uh, as we've encountered the loss of a loved one, moving seamlessly between laughter and then uh, tears of loss, laughter at some funny story, and they move seamlessly into, tear, into tears of loss. Hasn't that happened to you? Our funeral service captures this so beautifully. This is from the Book of Common Prayer. And you'll note the notes it says that the, the service of burial is characterized by joy and certainty that neither death nor life nor you see certainty and joy, but certainty and joy or joy based upon certainty does not displace grief or make grief unchristian. Now, why is this helpful for us? Why am I belaboring this point that you and I can have two emotions that exist simultaneously and that are apparently somewhat opposite? Here is why. Because you and I are facing what would fall under various trials. Right now, we are not facing the various trials that the original audience faced under Nero, but we are facing trials. We are facing trials of health concerns. We are facing trials of loneliness and isolation. We are facing trials of unemployment. We are in week five of isolation and we are all facing trials. Zoom has lost its appeal after about two and a half days. My children's excitement about being out of school lasted about a week. The excitement of a new pattern or rhythm of life lasted about just as long. Whatever novelty came with the stay-at-home orders is now a thing of the distant past, and now it is just a trial. You and I are facing trials. And what is the Christian response to facing trials? Raise your hand. It's hinted. What is the Christian response to various trials? I'll show you what it is. The Christian response when we face trials is to be grieved. That is the response when you and I face trials, to be sorrowful and to be grieved. And I believe that when we face trials and the grief that accompanies them, we should recalibrate. We should reset our expectations. Let me 
share a little analogy, illustration by analogy. Every once in a while, my wife, Jennifer, will take some trip and leave me alone with the kids for this, our six kids for a couple of days watching them, or as Jennifer calls it, parenting. When I am alone with the six kids, success is recalibrated. My success, my standards for success are that each child is clad and each child is fed. What the children are fed with or what they are clothed in is largely irrelevant. Anything past feeding and clothing is just extra credit. I have recalibrated based upon my trial. As I have spoken with various parishioners and I've asked them, how are you doing? The most common response I receive is I'm hanging in there. I'm surviving. And I want to say, good. Survival is good. We may think, I don't have it that bad. I'm not sick. I should do more than just survive. We may think, I have the living hope of the Christian faith. I should do more than survive. I can, I can thrive. Those are good ambitions. But when you face trials, and those trials cause grief, I think it is perfectly reasonable to recalibrate. We are in week five of lockdown. I have never experienced something like this. Some have it worse, no doubt, but it is a trial. And when we face trials, it is okay to be grieved. And when you grieve, it is okay to recalibrate success. Did you wake up this morning? Did you get out of bed? Good. Did you eat? Good. Did you get dressed? Good. Did you not lose it when your children asked you the 19th question, the same question for the 19th time? Good. The Christian hope is not that our lives will be free from grief. No, trials are an unavoidable part of life. And grief is the Christian response to trials. The Christian hope is that grief does not last. That trials do not last. They only last for a little while. The Christian hope is that trials do not last, but your eternal inheritance does. Because trials do not last. Grief is only a temporary emotion. Joy is the enduring emotion of the Christian. Now, while we face trials, our joy is mixed with grief. When we come into our inheritance and through the mercy of God, our certain and sure inheritance 
Then there will be no more grief and only joy.